Daily Aviation Podcast is presented as entertainment, not flight instruction. Though some participants are certified flight instructors, their comments, opinions, and discussions of flying techniques are theirs alone. None of the co-hosts or guests on this podcast are acting as your flight instructor. Please consult your own CFI for guidance on your specific flight training, aeronautical knowledge, and aircraft operation. This is the Stuck Mike Avcast, an aviation podcast about learning to fly, living to fly, and loving to fly. Episode 178, goodbye slash DME. Hello to equipment requirements notes coming up in this episode of the Stuck Mike Avcast. Now here are your co-hosts, Victoria Newville, Eric Crump, Larry Overstreet, Russ Rosleski, Tom Frick, Rick Felty, and Carl Valeri. Hello, everybody, and welcome to a special episode of the Stuck Mike Avcast. Today, we're going to talk uh, about a technical aspect of your approach plates, and uh, leading off that conversation is me, Russ Rosleski. But before we start there, a quick shout-out to our sponsors, AviationCareersPodcast.com, for scholarships, career coaching, and an inspirational podcast about aviation careers. Uh, Also, check out a lot of the classes that we have on there, as far as getting your resume together and some of our other technical classes at AviationCareers podcast.com well before we get started i just i'm here in lakeland florida and it has been beautiful flying weather and today i actually right before this podcast one of my favorite things to do is to go outside and i just have to go down the road about a mile and watch all the planes take off and landing and today they were landing on runway let's see it was on 27 today and i was watching the sunset and airplanes land What's better than that? It was awesome. Had a wonderful time. Well, joining us, too, is uh, Rick Felty. Rick, welcome. Hello, hello. Hello from Massachusetts, where it's also beautiful weather. Yeah. Unless you have unless you have seasonal allergies. <laughs> <laughs> and it's actually a gorgeous whole up and down the East Coast. It's just absolutely wonderful today. Also joining us is uh, Tom Frick. Tom, welcome. How you doing, Carl? Another beautiful day in paradise. (laughs) And uh, over in the St. Petersburg area. And uh, also is uh, Russ Rosleski. Russ, welcome. Oh, thanks, Carl. Uh, Yeah, it's warm here today, 90-something degrees, so it's a little hot. And and joining us this evening is somebody we you know we announced as an occasional show uh, host and a co-host here, excuse me, and he's uh, been on the show before and did a lot of work, great job over at uh, Sun and Fun, and that's Bill English. Bill, welcome back to the podcast. Well, good evening from beautiful Virginia today. A wonderful day here, too. And, yeah, I mean, sometimes the visibility is obscured by the pollen. But other than that, a nice day. <laughs> well, it's it's great having all of you here today. Unfortunately, some of our other co-hosts weren't able to make it this evening. Uh, but we have a lot to talk about. So let's get started uh, with our cruise flight. Now entering cruise flight. Got a couple of things, some feedback, actually, from our last podcast. Podcast, excuse me, uh, whether or not a decision-making process, which was uh, really a lot of fun to talk about, actually decisions as far as as mo- flying in and out of um, sun and fun. And Russ talked a lot about you know his decision-making process. The interesting thing is, as we got some feedback from some folks, and I think there was a mention also uh, that we didn't mention is using flight service stations for the decision making. We never actually brought that up. I think one of the reasons is we were talking about that instance and that that time frame. And at that point, you know, it was a very usually 
when we're using flight service, it's a lot of planning, that type of thing, or from a, more of a remote area. Uh, but in this instance, you you know, Russ was talking about air traffic control, and you know, we're doing more tactical type of work. It's uh, it's actually better to to work with air traffic control, and I kind of use it as as if if I have a list of of ten things, it usually it's towards maybe the bottom of the list if I can actually talk to somebody, say, hey, what's what's the weather like, that type of thing. Uh, so, but the flight service stations are still out there. They're great tools. Uh, another comment on that, by the way, is when, so for instance, I was thinking about this, by the way, this comment, and one of the things that I do is I fly over the Atlantic Ocean a lot, and depending on the type of airplane I have, I don't have, uh, like last time I was flying last week, we only have HF radio to communicate. So I actually have to talk to New York radio and ask them about the different SIGMETs and where the weather is. We have radar, tactically speaking, and we can find out where those that weather is. We can also talk, you know, air-to-air frequencies, but in reality, it's just like talking to flight service station. You, you get the NOTAMs and the SIGMETs and everything through Air Inc., and they will actually give you a plot using Latin longe, uh, latitude and longitude as far as the position of those storms so that you can actually try to maybe start plotting your course around it. We actually have to plan, especially when over the Atlantic, uh, we have to plan you know, 100 miles, 200 miles in advance because it takes so long for us to change our direction because we're on specific tracks and we have to make sure we have separation from other aircraft. So that was that was kind of an interesting comment. And I think, uh, Russ, I think that, that was uh, something we were want- talked about before. It's like it is a great option, isn't it? Oh, sure. They're out there. They're, they're specialists that, you know, have uh, current radar depictions and all that kind of thing, of course. Uh, so they're still very much around and still very relevant. In my specific instance, it wasn't maybe quite as useful as in a lot of other circumstances. So, yes, if you're looking for that, some, some kind of service. And in my example, you know, I had problems with the, the onboard equipment. Uh, that's what uh, flight service is there for. They can read you a lot of that information. Um. I remember, of course, most of us have been flying long enough that that was pretty much all you had. So, so uh, definitely, uh, uh, there's a, an avenue to use. Yeah, and I think we didn't bring it up because of the fact that it really is more. It, it, when I think of flight service, it's more strategic than tactical. In other words, it's more planning, et cetera, and it's not something that that uh, it, you know I would use right away. So, it's. It's really interesting that when I want to use it for something that I want to find information right away, I usually talk to air traffic control, and that's all. Uh, but flight service is still there, and you can call them, 1-800-WX-BRIEF, and talk to folks. And you can also remote communications outlet over VORs. They're all on your charts, and you can find that. So anyway, thanks for that uh, that information about you know flight service. We just failed to mention it at the time because it wasn't kind of going through our minds at the time because uh, we were you know, Russ especially was talking to air traffic control. Also on uh, the next uh, feedback was interesting and just a quick comment on that it said uh, it was actually from a listener who says he enjoyed the episodes and the stories and uh, you know he was he was really happy that Russ had bad luck with the weather and uh, he That's did, right. because uh, and you got to talk to this individual and since you couldn't leave you actually were able to meet him at Sunfun where you I think it was his name was Ben wasn't it yeah, that's right. Hi, Ben. You're right. If I left uh, uh, Saturday, I guess I wouldn't have met him. So uh, good luck, bad luck, I guess, uh, whatever you want. 
Anyway, yeah. Well, it was good luck because you got to yeah, meet that's right. one of those. And we love meeting you folks. And don't forget, uh, you know, the hashtag stuck Mike selfie. If you want to take a picture near an airplane or with one of our co-hosts, we'd love to see that out there in social media. So uh, so anyway, those are the comments from the last episode. Keep them coming. StuckMikeAvCast at gmail.com. Also, obviously, you can go to StuckMikeAvCast and just place a comment out there. And uh, we'd love to hear your feedback on all the different episodes. But uh, got a lot of feedback in other emails and from different people about uh, that episode because it really uh, went through the thought process of how to make a, a weather decision. So we, we do appreciate your feedback, and I'm glad it's really helping you. And that's what we want to do. We want to help you folks and and help you uh, become safer pilots and, and have more knowledge. And speaking of more knowledge, we have a, a really cool episode this week because there is something, let's see, this is coming out on the 15th of May, 2018. And uh, the charts are changing. The approach plates are, are changing a little bit, and there's some new information. If you notice in the title, I said goodbye slash DME and hello equipment requirements notes. Uh, it's really interesting because I think this is something moving forward uh, with our charts and something I'm excited to see. And uh, But to, to introduce this topic is going to be Russ. And Russ wrote a, a really good article about this, and there's a, a couple other articles out there, but I thought yours was, was very thorough. So before we get started, just... Russ, tell us a little bit uh, overview as to what you mean by goodbye slash DME and hello equipment requirements notes. Well, okay, DME is not going away. <laughs> it, <laughs> this this title, I, I don't know what you call it for a, a podcast. You call it clickbait? I, I don't know. Oh, <laughs> but, uh, oh, oh, <laughs> You're giving away that. secrets. <laughs> yeah, that's right. But no, uh, but what is happening is uh, gradually as – as many of these changes with charts occur, you know, they occur over a time frame of years and years as procedures are amended. Well, the next pub cycle is May 24th. So that'll be nine days from when this, uh, this episode comes out. And what we're going to start seeing is some of the names of the approach procedures changing and an additional uh, box of information on the charts that's going to specify some equipment. That's what we're going to get into. Uh, I could say goodbye slant DME because that's one of the main changes that, that we'll see. And this has already actually been happening a little bit at a time, but everything really starts uh, up in earnest here on uh, May 24th, where we used to have, we were used to a VOR slash DME runway 17 approach, right? And that meant we had to have a VOR receiver and we had to have a DME receiver. But that's changing and that's what we're going to get into here in just a moment. So, Russ, the the fact that we found this out, it's actually something that's uh, been talked about a little bit, but not a lot of information is out there. So I'm really excited to kind of discuss this whole topic because uh, when when you're looking at charts, and one of the things that's really interesting, and the, the fact that we're bringing this up is because on our other podcast, I actually do a lot of you know interview prep and technical interview prep, and this comes up quite a bit. Uh, on an approach plate, the one of the things on there, and this is a question that one airline loves to use all the time, and and says, well, you know, it says here, ADF required, and you don't have one in your airplane, so how is it that you can actually fly this approach? This actually helps you a little bit, I think, along those lines as trying to, as far as trying to figure out whether you know maybe whether you need it or not. I think some people have that in their head already. They understand whether they do need ADF or not, even though they don't have it in the airplane. But I think that this makes it a little more solid as far as as the actual you know description of that. So 
Anyway, we're going to talk talk about that here in a second. So, how did this come about? First of all, why why are we doing this? Why are we even having this discussion? I think that's one good reason is it leads to less confusion as to where is the ADF required? Uh, is it for during the approach or or trying to actually maneuver to to start the approach? That type of thing. So why why are we talking about this right now, Russ? Well, one of the main reasons for these changes was really driven by uh, some some concerns uh, and and input from industry and users groups. Where, like you mentioned, Carl, we have these notes and they're in various places on the charts, and that's going to be kind of consolidated. But at first, let's talk about this uh, the DME issue that I kind of brought up already. Uh, we're used to seeing these, uh, for example, VOR slash DME runway one seven approach, right? Mm-hmm. And and we know that we have to have a VOR receiver. And we know that we have to have a DME receiver for, in order to fly this approach. And we're very used to that. We may not fly a whole lot of VOR DME procedures anymore, but historically, this is how it's been. We know right away whether we have DME or not in the airplane and where, whether we can fly that approach. But the change is happening, and it's all part of this larger change we're going to get into over this episode, is that DME portion, the slant DME, and this is why I say goodbye slant DME, uh, slant DME is going away, and that VOR DME to runway 17 is now going to be known as a VOR runway 17 with a note in this new area of the form that says DME required. Now that sounds, well, that's not very significant and may or may not sound like a great idea, but I think as we, as we move through and we talk about the other changes, some of the other notes, you'll see how this all kind of fits in. It is going to require a little bit more reading of the chart sometimes because well, on a VOR DME, it's in big, bold print. And I have a, uh, a blog post that we'll put in the show notes that kind of walks you through all the examples that we're going to talk about here. And uh, so once you're done listening, please go check that out and uh, for some more information. But that DME was the first move. And we, we actually started to see that just a little bit at a time over about the past year. Um, but the, the next phase of that is what starts May 24th. And that's the, the equipment notes. Okay, so like Carl was was mentioning, um, the equipment notes, such as ADF required, um, mm-hmm. or ADF or DME required, or radar required, uh, they they've always been on the charts, but they've been in different places. Um, you've probably noticed sometimes up in the top in the notes box, like in the tiny print, you might see a note saying ADF required or whatever, and or down in the the uh, plan view, you know, the, like the map view of the chart in bold, you might have something that says ADF or DME required or radar required or something like that. So these notes were in different places on the chart and they meant different things depending on where they were. Now this was spelled out in uh, the aeronautical information manual and a lot of people knew it, but I think a whole lot more didn't realize that the placement on the chart really kind of described what this requirement was used for. Is it required to fly the missed approach? Is it required to, to get into the procedures, required for final? These kind of things. It, it was a little bit confusing. In fact, sometimes you'd have notes. I've got an example in the blog post where in the, you know, the small print at the top, it says ADF required. And then, I'm sorry, on the small print, you'll see the example it says radar or DME required. And then in the bold print on the, the plan view, it says radar required. Somebody's think, wait a minute, do I need radar or do I need DME? <laughs> I, I, I'm not sure. 
Well, I think that was the uh, impetus from industry and user groups to say, hey, can we, we can do something better. And that's the changes that's coming out on, um, on May 24th. So, f- so for, for those, uh, just to interject here real quickly, on the ADF required as another example, one of the examples uh, that's used quite often, I'm kind of, you know, precipitating this, with the, these guys really that listen to this know that I go over the ILS DME to three, ILS are localized to runway three, five at Asheville, and there's a big ADF required uh, right there on the plan view, and uh that's uh it's interesting like you said it all depends where you have that adf and uh required and where it is in the notes uh telling you that yeah you need that that's required so that you can actually begin that approach and uh and to actually you know be able to start that procedure and uh, it's kind of interesting because uh one of the things that we go over is do you need that adf if you have a uh, you know a, a IFR GPS and some way of identifying that point without the ADF and yeah of course you do so uh, it's it's actually pretty interesting so that's something I, I just want to kind of interject because I, I know there's some a lot of folks that are listening that know that I use that as a big example the ILS uh, over there at uh, Asheville but anyway sorry Russ you can continue no that's <laughs> that's good input yeah so what they're doing is changing kind of not only the, where these notes are located, but also being more specific on what they apply to. So some examples might be DME required for procedure entry, which means you need to get it to start to, you need to, to start the procedure, but you're not going to need to say on the missed approach. Now, of course your equipment doesn't go away. So if you've got, it, you've got it. But uh, some of the other things like um, DME or radar required to, to define a certain fix okay so if you don't have maybe it's one of the uh, initial approach fixes if you don't have dme or radar coverage you can't use that fix but maybe you could come in a procedure from another direction uh, another one would be dme required for loc only that would be your uh, what used to be your ils or loc dme uh, approach so they're putting these notes in a new box the new box is uh, up near the top uh, left of the of the approach chart right above the the other notes box that talks about, you know, the local altimeter settings not received or, you know, those kind of things, you know, circling NA to whatever runway. So right above that box is going to be this this new one that's going to spell out in a little more detail uh, the equipment requirements. Um, now, of course, if you do have an IFR GPS that as long as you're complying with, uh, with the uh, aeronautical information manual and the various ACs on that advisory circulars, uh, you can use that for certain substitutions in certain cases, but so that they're not they're not going to say here ADF or IFR GPS you know, required on every single <laughs> approach. That will obviously obviously be be redundant when the rules already account for that. But um, I have here an example that radar is required to define the uh, intermediate fix because there is no valid fix makeup, you know, no crossing radial from a VOR, no DME source. So you have to have radar to fly this approach. At you know from the intermediate fix. Once you get past that, you can identify the rest of the fixes in the missed approach by yourself, and you know you don't have to have uh, radar coverage past that point. So in the past, you wouldn't really know. It would just say radar required or whatever, and you'd have to kind of infer and look at the chart, which of course was always a good idea to look at the chart and figure out how you're going to fly it. But this is uh, going to go kind of that next step in a little more detail. So real real quickly too, just a question if you don't mind the. 
the radar required also if that fix and i'm thinking someone's gonna ask this question that's why i'm saying is that if i do have again just like you said if i have an ifr certified gps and i have it comply with all the advisory circulars i can still use that to to actually you know to identify that fix if I have that in my database and I've complied with all the ACs. So just it's, you know, we're using ADF, but also the radar fix, that type of thing as examples. Because I know someone's going to ask that question. Well, well, you just said it's about ADF, but how about for the radar fix? That's a correct statement. Yeah, right? yeah. yeah that's true. Um, there's there's a whole list of things you're allowed to substitute an IFR GPS for. Um, that's probably beyond the scope of this this right. episode, but maybe we could do another one. But right, yeah, right. I but that that's important people... to mention. Thanks. Yeah, and I'd like to put yeah. a link to that. Actually, that'd be kind of cool. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. We'll we'll put that in the show notes. But I think most people that have an IFR GPS have practiced um, with you know using it to identify fixes. Of course, you know, you, you load it up in the GPS, and um, and you don't have to have those other. You know, you don't have to identify it with a crossing radial or a. Uh, marker beacon or anything like that. So uh, that stuff hadn't, hasn't changed with the, the IFR GPS. In fact, the, none of the rules on this really have changed at all. It's just a different way of presenting the information that uh, hopefully will be, be clearer. <laughs> you know, uh, we, I, I hope. So uh, we'll see as, as it progresses. Uh, and that's a great point. I'm glad you said that. The rules aren't changing. It's how it's being presented that's changing. And uh, and by the way, if you don't mind me, another thing. What's You know, you're describing this. And I know it's hard because we don't have pictures. Uh, but in the notes, it, it's really going to be a very thin uh, uh, rectangular box that's uh, in within the notes there. Right below, you know, where you have the localizer DMA within that box there, you're going to see a, another small box that describes that. So if you're looking for it, it's going to be on the left side of the chart. But anyway, sorry, I just thought I'd make that point. No, that's right. It's in the same you know font and font size as all the other notes about you know, inoperative uh, approach lights and uh, RVR settings and that kind of thing. It's all in that. Um, what you know? What I don't know is Bill's question. Bill's, what is your question? So you're talking about the. Uh the FAA charts, the government yeah, charts. Yeah, I should have specified that right. Yeah, so this is the, these are the FAA charts that start so, on May 24th. Yeah, yeah. so what's in, char- in store for the JEP charts? Will there be a format change there? You know, I don't know the answer to that. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, we, we can try to find out and uh, maybe put something in the show notes on that. So that's a good question. So, yeah, we'll definitely follow up on that. I'll, I'll look at my JEP charts while we're doing this. So. There you go. Find, find some for May twenty fourth. Travel into the future. And then come back I'll and try. Stop. I'll try to go into the future. Here. Hang on. <laughs> but uh, yeah. So uh, here's here's one more example that I've got in the post. Here is uh, the note says ADF or DME required for procedure entry uh, because once you, once you fly one of these arcs using DME or uh, you fly the procedure turn using ADF. Once you get past that, you can use normal procedures. You don't have to have either one of those. Again, that in itself doesn't really change the equipment you'd have to have to fly the approach, unless, of course, you can get radar vectors in the final. That's always an, an option. It does away with some of the requirements, in this example, procedure entry type requirements. So it, it's going to take a little bit of work, a little bit of time. Um, these changes are very gradually... Uh, going to come into effect, I'm sure. Like uh, like all the other changes of this nature, it's going to take you know years and years uh, to kind of percolate through the whole 
uh, whatever it is, 10, you know, 15,000, whatever the number is, uh, procedures. So, uh, so it'll take some time, but, uh, but we'll, we'll start seeing it. Like I said, here, just a couple weeks, uh, before I go on to, uh, the, how this affects G notes on GPS, uh, RNAV type approaches, any other questions about this stuff? Um, actually no other question. It's just that, uh, like you said, it's going to, it's not going to happen overnight. It's going to actually it could take like years and stuff like that. And, uh, by the way, I did look up at my updates cause sometimes we get them early, but the next update is not going to be for a few days. We get them a few days prior to them coming out. So no, I didn't have the, the, uh, jet out there yet. So sorry. I did look that up for you. So go ahead. Sorry, Russ. Well, maybe in a few days we can, we can update that and we'll, we'll be able to, I hope that'd be, that'd be neat to find out. Good question. That was a that was a that was a good point though, Bill. <laughs> you you caught me off guard. Well, I'm searching around <laughs> to see if I can find any info. So maybe I'll all right. Well, so so stand by, right? Okay. All right. So uh, so far, I've only discussed conventional, you know, non RNAV type approaches, uh, VORs and ILSs and such. Um, but not to fear, uh, RNAV approaches get a little bit of a makeover as well. Uh, not much because. Well, there aren't as many possibilities you know, on RNAV reports. You don't have to worry about DME and ADF and you know, all this stuff, right? So, uh, so not as many different possibilities. However, um, one thing that could possibly be confusing to folks is a, kind of a change in terminology. And uh, this, I'm going to have to do a very quick uh, technical lesson. There are many people out there who know far more than, than this level of information. And if I'm excessively simplifying, I apologize. But, uh, but I'll, I'll try to do the best I can. Okay, so uh, there's going to be two kind of new acronyms to be aware of here. One is called PBN, which is Performance-Based Navigation. Um, PBN is a description of systems that not only have to meet a certain requirement for accuracy, but also have to be able to tell you when uh, the system's not providing that level of accuracy. Okay, so you think about your your uh, VOR, your VOR receiver, right? It has an accuracy requirement, right? Plus or minus four degrees or six degrees when you do your 30-day VOR check, which instrument pilots are very aware of. So it has an accuracy requirement. But at the moment you're using it, if, if it isn't able to achieve that level of accuracy or the signal's degraded or something is wrong inside the equipment or who knows what, it has no way of telling you that today I'm not quite as accurate as I was yesterday for various reasons, right? It has, no way, it has no way to tell you that. The only thing it has is that nav flag that indicates whether the transmitter is working or not, but nothing else uh, on internal checks. A PBN system, though, remember, that's performance-based navigation, has to be able to tell you if the accuracy is being degraded. Well, a lot of us that fly general aviation aircraft have such a system in our airplanes, and that's an IFR GPS. If you've ever been flying along and it tells you, you know, accuracy is degraded, then... That's what it's doing. It's, it's doing its internal checks. So these new PBN requirements require the accuracy check, and they also introduce um, levels of performance that the aircraft equipment has to meet in order to fly various procedures. Uh, these levels of performance are what's called RNP, Required Navigation Performance. Okay, and there are various levels. I'm not going to get into them here, but... Uh, the Aeronautical Information Manual, paragraph 1-2-2, has, has lots of details on that. Um, and so just be aware that these PBN and RNP concepts can be confusing, but to break it down simply, 
uh, before I get into any more real details, most light general aviation aircraft with an IFR approach approved GPS, such as a Garmin 430W or a 650 or you know, any of the other receivers, uh, meet this RNP approach uh, level of performance. Uh, Carl, you had a comment. Yeah, one of the interesting things about you know the, with the RMP, this required navigational performance, we always uh, hear numbers, and I, I thought this might be interesting for the folks listening. Is you know we see, hear RMP one, two, four, ten, or whatever, and that actually when they describe that RMP, it means that there cannot be an error of say it's RMP, let's pretend it's RMP one. If it's say RMP one, the error there cannot be more than a one nautical mile. Uh, 95% of the flight time, of the total flight time. And, and that's what's interesting. It says 95% of the time, you're going to have that one nautical mile of accuracy. Another kind of cool thing, and, and this is with the system that I use at work, when we're doing, say, an RMP approach, our default for everything goes to one mile in the terminal and in route area. And this is where it's important for you to know some of your equipment, too, is we actually have to physically put in 0.3 because that's usually with the RMP. It's RMP 0.3. So we have to actually put that in there. So there is 0.3 nautical mile of precision 95% of the time. And if that 0.3, because like you said, it monitors and it makes sure that's accurate within 0.3, if we lose that, we get a flag and that flag comes up and it'll, it'll nav accuracy lost and you have to do something. And if you're on the approach, you definitely have to go around. So this is, it's something kind of new that we have to start maybe thinking about a little bit more possibly as we get more and more involved in, in some of these RMP approaches and depending on the equipment you have. So I thought that'd be kind of an inter- interesting aside. So Russ, I hope, I hope that helps a little bit. No, that's good. That, thanks for bringing that up, Carl. Uh, you're absolutely right. And it, it, when you think about an IFR GPS and you think about it's plus or minus one mile 95% of the time, that doesn't seem like a very high bar, particularly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, especially, you know, if, you, if you're looking at the, you know, expected, you know, what is it called? The uh, predicted error or whatever, the GPS, and it's showing, you know, three meters or something like that, right? So being plus or minus a mile doesn't seem like a big trick. But you know, we're, we're talking extreme worst case scenario here, right? So you could be a mile off and still be okay, right? If that, you know, for a uh, RNP level one. Uh, and actually this, this term RNP, um, although it's, you're going to start seeing it some more, it's actually been around a lot longer than we really realize. Uh, if you look at any RNAV GPS approach uh, chart out there right now, it's going to say, it's going to have the word, the letters RNP on it. They're going to be in this note up in the text. It says DME, DME, RNP, 0.3 NA. Um, now that, that just means you can't use a DME, DME, R, uh, system to fly this, uh, to fly this RNF GPS approach. Well, this is a note that is in, since it's in every single RNF GPS approach out there, most of us have just kind of been, you know, we kind of gloss over this. Okay. That thing, <laughs> that note. Okay. I can ignore that. Because it doesn't mean anything, at least to the types of uh, general aviation pilots and aircraft that I work with, you know, light GA, they don't have a DME, DME, RNF system. Uh, I would never have. So, so that note hasn't really mean anything. 
hasn't really meant anything. I think my English teacher would be good on me for that. All right. (laughs) You know, um, to interject, if if you don't mind, just a little kind of a a cool little experience I had with this. I've actually lost um, all of my GPSs in the airplane once and had uh, DME, DME in our aircraft in the the FMS. And we, uh, and this was on the approach plate. So you actually, we couldn't use this because we had a degradation in our GPS and we couldn't do DME, DME for that approach. So DME, DME, RNP, Point three wasn't authorized for the approach, but uh, so that that's about the only. Uh, and obviously, we had to use an ILS because it was an RNF approach. Well, who cares? I can use an ILS, and that's a physical piece of equipment. But I just thought it this this does actually have an application. Uh, it does it come up? I've seen it once in you know the past you know twelve thousand hours of flying, uh, and and that's all I've ever seen this this application. So it's kind of interesting that, that we do use that in certain RNF equipped aircraft. So anyway, thought I'd interject that thanks yeah that, that's a great example um i, I like that uh, but you're, you know once in twelve thousand hours right i mean uh i've i've had gps's fail too but we didn't have a dme dme system to uh to um you know back it up with anyway but yeah so we've seen this note in there this note is actually going to go away uh, so yay i guess <laughs> but <laughs> but but not it wouldn't help you in your case anyway carl because the application of this note is still in effect. What it's going to be replaced by is this term called uh, RNP approach. It's going to be abbreviated RNP APCH, RNP approach. And that level of performance means essentially your everyday standard IFR GPS that can, that can fly approaches, approach approved GPS. Uh, and that's it. The DME DME note is going away. It's replaced by the RNP approach note. Uh, but the issue that I'm a little bit concerned about here is while this really makes no difference to most general aviation pilots, uh, seeing that RNP word in there can be confusing because of the, what we used to call RNP approaches, those that say RNAV, RNP, uh, runway three, right, whatever. So, these are kind of, they're, they're the same abbreviation, but they're used in, in different senses, and that can be a little bit confusing. Uh, those approaches that you see when you look up at the top and bold, and they're named RNAV, RNP, those are still not eligible for you know most aircraft. We'll get in that in a minute. But those that say RNAV GPS are, even with this uh, RNP APCH equipment note, that's the same uh, as you're used to. Okay. I, I don't know how a better way to describe that. Uh, but that's why, well, that's why we're having this podcast, I guess. Okay. So effectively for the RNF GPS approaches that light general aviation aircraft fly, nothing has really changed. Just some of the terminology and the positioning of the notes. Okay. Um, if you do have an approach as RNF R and P in the title, you will know if you're eligible to fly it. I think we talked about that uh, several you know, episodes ago. It could have been a year ago. I'm not sure. We talked about it in a previous episode. Um, aircraft that are approved to fly R- RNAV R&P approaches uh, require a higher level of equipment. They require a high level of pilot training. So if you're able to fly these RNAV R&P approaches, you will know it because you will have received a bunch of training on it and how to do it and that kind of thing. If you haven't, you're not eligible to fly it, certainly. Um, but they have a new note in there as well. RNAV AR approach, the AR meaning, uh, authorization required. 
So um, I don't want to spend a whole lot of time on that because if you are eligible to fly those approaches, you will have a, a hopefully some kind of a training department at your at work that would that would bring you up to speed on the new notes there. You know, one of the things I noticed is that it, the you know we talked about point three. It goes all the way down uh, for those folks doing these to point one. That's pretty darn yeah. accurate. Wow. Yeah, that's pretty tight. <laughs> yeah, it is incredibly tight. I mean, you can just you know bring it way down to the you know all the ground pretty much. So that that's really cool. Maybe we'll have Auto Land soon with oh, the R and F R and B approaches. I mean. That that would be cool. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. So, so those are the ba- major changes. Of course, uh, the, the, the notes are all in a new place, uh, both the conventional and the uh, RNAV uh, approaches. Especially with the RNAV approaches, I, I tell people, you know, don't worry about the new uh, nomenclature. Nothing much has changed. Uh, you can find a bunch of other documents uh, and, and source material on this kind of thing out there. Um, but uh, but I think we I think we kind of spelled it out. I, I tried to I tried to do it clearly here. Hopefully uh, hopefully I was successful. Um, I do want to point out that uh, for the charts we're talking about uh, the uh, the pub date is May twenty fourth, right? As we discussed, that that some of the new ones go into effect. But the reason I was able to get these charts ahead of time was because the FA actually publishes charts about 19 days before the pub date and you can get them off the FA's website. And that's of course, obviously, so they can go out to the different companies and distribute them and all right, but you can get those. And I've got the, the website and we'll have it in the show notes as well as to where you can get these things kind of in advance. And another thing that I have mentioned before is that you can get not only just 19 days before, but you can get kind of like draft copies and notifications well before the publication date in a lot of cases. So you can kind of, uh, keep up on what's going on at your airport or whatever, wherever you fly to that kind of thing. So, um, all these examples are available, you know, they're, they're on the FA's website. Um, so if you're listening to this podcast, and you want to go search around for any others, you can certainly do so. Yeah. I'm great. I'm glad you brought that up as far as these being published in advanced and, uh, you know, like the app that I use, um, I use for flight and then I also use another one, a Jeppesen app. And it actually, uh, it's really interesting. You can actually switch to the new charts, when they come out so say you want to get used to these and i think this is a great idea is to go ahead and switch to the new charts maybe you know fly them in your head or whatever and and look over the charts and the approach plates etc and say okay now i understand this uh and but make sure after you're done working it i know a lot of apps uh or my app i know does let me switch back to the current charts don't forget to (laughs) switch back to the current charts after you've actually looked at the the charts that have been loaded in advance uh but i'd highly encourage people to do that before the first day because i i will say that that's probably gonna be quite confusing uh for some people to do that right away uh also by the way uh russ if you don't mind another question i had i I think this might come up i I think it was in your notes um there's another type of approach they talk about and it's called the you know it says rnf approach and it says gps and then says this thing says rf required uh, what does that RF mean? I was wondering if you could maybe expand on that. Well, mostly you will see that on the RNAV RNP uh, type approaches, uh, and operators that are approved to do those uh, may or may not be able to do that 
RF uh, turn. Uh, It's it's an RF leg type. And what it means is it's a radius to a fix. It's it's the GPS version, basically, of a DME arc, uh, is what what you could view it as. And uh, like I said, uh, that could be published on... Uh, on the RNAV RNP chart, if all entries into the procedure required the ability to fly this curving approach path, uh, if some of them, if some entries in the procedure don't require that, it will have a separate note. It'll say RF required for entry at whatever fixes, um, unlike that. But um, but that that is a special equipment requirement that you generally only see on RNAV RNP approaches, uh, at least currently. Okay, so that that radius to a fix kind of thing. So I just saw that in the notes. I was wondering what that was, and uh, that's so right. the, and that's kind of interesting because it, it's coming out for everybody. These these notes, and I, uh, in general, Russ and I, I think it's going to be a little less confusing, uh, and I think it's a good thing. Uh, so I really this this is like totally cool. So we're totally getting into the AvGeek stuff, which I, I love. But in your opinion, Russ, just in general. Do you really think that this is going to be uh, – are you very excited about this as a positive change? Well, we are getting kind of geeky with the charts here. so. <laughs> um, you know, I, you know I, I never really liked the, the way it was done before. Um, so, you know, it just you know, where it's on the chart determines what it means. I always thought that was confusing, and obviously a lot of other people did too. And trying to teach that and explain it was, it was very difficult. So – Hopefully, this will make it a little bit clearer. I mean, there is going to be growing pains on, of course, like with anything. Um, education is going to be a big deal. You know, I mean, I had, had a guy pass a, a check ride a couple weeks ago. He doesn't know anything about this. <laughs> but the guy, you know, who's coming up for his check ride in a couple weeks, I guess I better teach him all about this, right? So uh, there's going to be some, definitely some education type requirements like that. But uh, I, I, think, I think overall, it's a good change, though, definitely. Yeah, and going back to the JEP stuff, by the way, their their formats a little differently. So uh, a lot of those notes have already been in the sections that we're talking about in a similar location. Uh, but it, it's kind of it's really cool to see that that the government charts are are moving forward with this. And and I've been actually really excited about about everything they've been doing as far as as government charts in general and and bringing things back and or you know into the current times. I think that's really really cool. And by the way, that you said before about the RNP being around for a long time. It really has been, uh, and you can find that. I'm not sure if you have in the show notes, but you can go to the the aim. Actually, describes it really well and has some. There's some pretty cool pictures in the aim that'll show you that you know how it's progressed over the years uh, and that type of thing. So, wow, Russ, this is. Uh, it, and what's going to happen here is people are going to want to go back and and re-listen to some of this, but also want to listen to your or excuse me, read your article. Obviously, they can find that in in uh, your show in your blog. But I was thinking maybe what we'll do. So that people have an easy way to to find it too is maybe we'll make a PDF file and we'll actually have as a download and I'll I'll put that in the show notes if that's all right with you, Russ. Well, I think certainly we need to at least link for it in the show notes. Definitely, I, I think okay. it'll probably be fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So people will have that, and, and it might be better just go to your website in case we have some changes to it. Also, does that make sense? Uh, but good stuff. Um, the most important takeaway from this it's coming, it's coming soon, and uh, you need to actually be able to understand it, and it might make more sense. I think it does from everything. I've seen in the notes. Uh, it seems like it's going to be uh, less confusing, and things are going to be more in front of me as I'm looking at the approach. And I think that's a positive change. So I'm pretty excited about this. So. Yeah, but- I think that um, that overall it's a good change. 
Uh, one thing, and I should address this again and kind of stress this, uh, we talked at the beginning about VOR slash DME changing to VOR with a DME required note instead. Uh, that might catch some people off guard. You know, they're, they're used to seeing this VOR DME and then they look and it's a VOR and say, hey, I can fly this approach right now with, you know, with my, you know, only VOR equipped aircraft. Not so. Make sure you read the notes. And this, of course, goes with any approach anywhere at any time. Read the notes, right? But uh, this this might be a new thing that might catch some people off guard. So so please be careful. Uh, always brief the approach uh, and prepare and read the notes, definitely. That's a great point. I know sometimes we kind of gloss over things, but um, and I could see how that would catch us off guard because we are so used to doing the same things over and over, and our eyes go to a certain spot. Do we need to have DME? Well, no, it says it right here, but hey, wait, we got to look at the notes now. So great, great point. Russ, this was awesome, man. I, I think this was terrific that you put this article together, and I'm glad you did the research. Uh, and I know there's a couple more, a few more articles about this. This is really technical stuff, which has uh, been really interesting, and I, and I love to to hear more of your comments uh, listeners about this so don't forget to stuckmikeavcast at gmail.com also go to the website and make some comments on that we'd love to hear them really enjoy that but uh, again russ thanks this was this was really totally cool and uh and hopefully we'll see more awesome articles from me in the future and uh, get to do some really really exciting av geekery that's for sure uh and getting some really technical <laughs> yeah, stuff okay <laughs> thanks carl uh, yeah and uh well guys it, there's no more questions on that we uh, we can move on to uh and that took up most of our time here and i know it's, people's heads right now are, might be exploding because this is so technical uh but go back listen to the podcast again and also read the notes and then listen to the podcast it really is a, is a good topic our picks of the week we are now going to move on to our picks of the week so Let's start with, since Bill is our uh, occasional co-host here, and he came on this evening. Bill uh, English, let's start with you with your pick of the week. All right, thanks. Uh, I, you know, it's, I said it was a beautiful day here, but uh, last week it was really hot, and I like to use an iPad in the cockpit like a lot of people do. And you know they don't like it when it gets hot, right? Everybody's seen that. And I found this nifty gadget called x Not. The letter X dash N A U T, like astronaut, and it's just a little holder like you have to, uh, you know, that fits the various popular mounts in the cockpit. Put your iPad Mini on it or your iPad, and it's got little fans in it. Keeps it cool because here comes summer. I think that's really cool. It's funny because when we first started, we started using iPads at work. One of the biggest problems we had was that they were overheating. Uh, I think a lot of people don't realize you put an iPad on top of the dash, it's going to overheat pretty easily. But it also gets hot sitting there on your lap. So uh, oh, yeah. this is pretty cool. I, have you used this, by the way? I was just curious. Yeah, just, try, yeah, just trying them out now. Um, it was hot last week. I didn't have it. but uh, And, of course, now it got nice and cool. But don't worry. Here comes summer. And between Virginia and Florida, I'm sure I'll see plenty of 90-degree-plus days. And we'll, we'll give it a try and uh, see how it works for us. Good. We'll definitely look for a, for a follow-up on that, if you don't mind. So that would be really cool to see you know, just a, a, a little pilot report on that one. That would be cool. So anyway, thanks for that. That's x-not.com. Of course, you can go to the show notes. While you're listening to it right now, you can actually look at the show notes as you're listening on your device and click on that. Uh, the next uh, pick of the week is mine, actually. It's something that uh, I've been 
been waiting to come out for quite some time and uh, somebody that I've known that's been talking about this and has asked me to even look at it for you know opinions etc over the past uh, year and it's finally coming out and it's uh, it's a called Aeroplane Apparel Company. Aeroplane Apparel Company is started by somebody that uh, we've known uh, Neil Glazier from uh, over at uh, thepilotmall.com and he has decided to go into doing apparel and really cool shirts some historic shirts and that type of thing as a neat catalog uh both you know some of the av geekery type of thing or the aviator he likes to call it uh certain inspirational ones which i really think are cool and uh, and also the adventure etc he also goes into some uh, some neat heritage stuff one of the things i like a uh, one shirt that i really like and it's one that showcased at sun and fun was uh the the city skyline and you see this airplane taking off and you're if the view is from where the approach lights are on this on the end of the runway and you're watching the plane take off and into, into the city and that was really cool but uh great stuff of course uh backed by somebody who has a lot of experience in producing some quality clothing and quality products and uh and those of course are pilot mall and uh, airplane apparel dot Com. Check it out. It's uh, pretty cool. Anyway, the uh, next pick of the week is, uh, let's see, Russ, what is what is your pick of the week? Well, mine's just kind of a, a fun, kind of silly website. Uh, it's called groundspeedrecords.com. And that sounds really, really uh, fancy, right? You know, with the, uh, you know, jet powered uh, airplanes and stuff. No, what this website is, is a place for people to put in, you know, how you, you, you're flying along and you got that one day with that beautiful tailwind. Like actually I had uh, last night, we had about a 50 knot tailwind. It was you know, at 3000 feet. It was incredible. Uh, but you know, you're flying along and, and you know what we all do. We see a really high number, especially if you know, if it breaks some magical number, 150 knots or 200 knots or something like that, depending on what airplane we're flying. We, what do we do? We take a picture of the GPS, right? So uh, this is the place where people, you know, submit their, their ground speed records. Uh, you know, it's, you know, how fast did they go? I mean, there's a, there's one, a Cessna 172 listed in here that apparently did 211 knots of, of ground speed. Obviously, monster tailwind. Uh, there's, you know, some bonanzas here up in the, you know, 250, 300 knot range. Uh, just that kind of stuff. And there's airliners on here and military aircraft, too. Um, you have to, when you look at these, you have to believe that that some of these are in a in a dive as well. But, you know, they're, it's, it's just fun. There, you know, there's no, uh, you know, validating other than the picture of your GPS right? How you achieved it. Uh, but, but it's a fun site. It just kind of go click around. I actually was a record holder on the site one time for a little while until I got bumped off. But you know, if, if you have a rare aircraft or something, yeah, you, you could, uh, you could easily have a, your own record category on here just cause no one else has submitted one. So groundspeedrecords.com, go check it out. And it's just a lot of fun. Well, thanks, Russ. That actually is really cool. I was just looking through it. I was like, oh, man, I thought I've held a record. I was not even close. I mean, it's just it's really neat checking out the airplanes that you've flown and stuff like that. So that's a lot of fun. Groundspeedrecords.com. Thanks, Russ. Uh, next up is uh, Rick. Rick, what is your pick of the week? Yeah, I um, ever since a part of my one my professional career crossed paths with a meteorologist who really was into uh, Alaska. Um, I've always had a fascination for, for sort of that part of the country, maybe also because I've never lived there regularly, you know, even in the North, North uh, West or, or further up in Alaska, but have visited a couple of times. And 
Uh, and then with flying, you know, know that there's some pretty cool flying that happens in that part uh, of the country and, and specifically in Alaska too. So I uh, crossed my path in the last couple of weeks, the website, I think maybe someone's mentioned this before, um, backcountrypilot.org, Backcountry Pilot. And um, it's a great website and it's beautiful because it's it's well-documented um, you know, kind of back country flying, uh, in a part of the country where that's sort of one all, you know, what you, what you need to do in some cases. And, and, uh, it's, it's some amazingly, uh, well crafted stuff, stories and videos and, uh, image galleries and, um, just really wonderful. So if you have a, have a moment and you're at your desk and you want to daydream a little backcountrypilot.org. All right, backcountry powder. Thanks, Rick. That was pretty cool. And uh, yeah. I'm going to sit there and play with this after after the podcast here because some really cool pictures out there. So awesome, awesome. So Tom, what is your pick of the week this week? Yeah, so I had an opportunity here as of late to um, fly in an aircraft that got me reading a book that I've had around for a while. So uh, specifically, I was uh, I was asked to fly with a guy in a uh, a, a bonanza. And um, it's actually a very old Bonanza. This thing is a 1947. It, they didn't even call them Bonanzas then. They called them a Beach 35. Um, it was the original, um, one of the original uh, V-tails that they ever put out. Um, interesting airplane, but um, it got me thinking, you know, I have information on this at home. And there was a book that was given to me as a gift um, early in my piloting career by a, by a good friend, um, by Larry Ball, called Those Incomparable Bonanzas. And it's a book that just really goes through the entire – it documents the history of how they put this plane together and how it was designed and, and the records that it broke and all of the things that go along with it. And, you know, basically the story of uh, Walter and uh, Olivan Beach and how, how they, uh, you know, created and, and went through and designed this aircraft. And it's, it's pretty cool. It's a pretty neat little book. And, uh, you know, I was reading it here recently. I thought it would be a great pick of the week. So that's what I put, chose. Awesome, Tom. That, that appreciate that. And, and for those folks that haven't uh, read Larry Ball, he's a, really a great historic writer, and he brings that to the fray here with his description of the bonanzas. And I remember he was a guy that wrote uh, the book about the uh, what was that called the oh gosh what the twin uh, was it the twin uh, beach the twin beach that's right he's the guy that wrote the book about the twin beach the immortal immortal twin beach. It's a really really cool book and great author. So appreciate your. Uh, I'd love to hear back after you're done with that thing. That, that's really, really cool. Great book. The After Landing Checklist. Well, gosh, uh, uh, folks, that's it. We've had uh, a really good discussion about uh, goodbye to slash DME and hello to equipment notes. I know this has gotten really technical, but it's been a lot of fun. As you can tell, I got a little excited as far as the, the av geekery of it and uh, really, really a lot of fun. Uh, one of the things, too, don't forget on the on the website, we have some where we uh, link to in the show notes, all the stuff that we talked about. But at the bottom of that, we've been doing a video of the week. So uh, there is a good video that I'd like to point out for our video of the week, and it's uh, about the flight service service videos and it talks about the Akeo flight plans and uh, it really is a great description of how to understand what to do with the flight plans and how they work, the ICAO flight plan. So if you get a chance, check out that video that's at the bottom, and that's in our video of the week. And uh, we sometimes forget to, to mention the fact that we do do a video of the week. 
Well, guys, this has been great, and I appreciate having uh, Bill on, and hopefully Bill will be back on shortly as far as an occasional host and has done a great job uh, helping us, has had a a background in radio and obviously loves aviation, and we're going to see some really great work from him in the future. And and from myself and from Russ and from Rick and Tom and from everybody else, the other co-hosts that couldn't make it on this evening, uh, you know, we really appreciate your listening and don't forget we love your feedback so stuckmikeavcast at gmail.com go to the website check it out just just click on the comments we'd love to hear your comments and uh and make sure you know this is a family-friendly podcast be careful how you write your comments and uh, if not we'll we'll clean them up a little bit and then then put them out there but one of the things i really would encourage you to do is after this show if you've i know some of this might be it's hard to do on an audio podcast but there's some really cool stuff out there we might do a short video about what we talked about, about the goodbye DME and hello uh, equipment notes. Don't forget to read that. But in general, one of the things I really encourage people to do, especially when we're talking about technical topics, is try to stretch your knowledge and stretch your world of aviation by learning something new. So when you stop this podcast, if you could, just do me a favor. You know, go out and, and look at something new that you want to do in aviation, whether it's, you know, this, this IFR stuff that we're talking about or maybe it's something VFR or going out and get another rating. But uh, I really encourage you to look at the show notes, click on the things that are in the show notes, do something new in aviation, but but try it out today. We'll talk to you next episode. Safe line. You've been listening to the Stuck Mike Abcast. Members of the Stuck Mike Abcast may receive compensation for products or services mentioned during the podcast. Compensation may be received in the form of, but not limited to, referral commissions, free products or service trials. Our opinions and views are never influenced by any compensation, and you should always perform your own due diligence before purchasing any products or services mentioned during the show. The Stuck Mike Avcast is an aviation podcast and a Valeri Aviation Corporation production.